So everyone, welcome back to Marlo's Conversations with Friends. I started these little chats, these banters, uh, which are topics around well-being uh, earlier this summer. And they are conversations I have with people in my life who I consider friends, people who have been newer friends to me, people who have been friends with me for many, many years. And the topics that we talk about with each other are topics that we are both passionate about and that I feel they bring to the table great information or we've just had a great time talking about it. So I thought, well, let's just share it with everybody. And my focus around well-being or what does well-being mean for me and my company, my business, Cultivate You, is well-being for ourself. So our whole physical being, mind, body, spirit. It also means well-being with our community, how we show up and support our community and how we interact and learn from each other and grow from each other. And then also the third piece is our well-being with the environment, this beautiful mother earth that we live on. And today happens to be just that topic around the environment. And it actually will most likely be one of two conversations that we have in this first one that I'm having. I am beyond delighted and quite honored to have my friend who has a newer friend to my life a few years now, and her name is Andrea Cabillo, uh, fondly known as Drea, but I'll probably go back and forth between that somehow. And Andrea and I met a few years ago on a mutual project we were working on in the salon industry, and uh, we just hit it off. And I was helping to uh, coach Drea on a project we were working on because she was our key person and we just really bonded uh, I feel most instantly and quite deeply I think we I love our friendship I love our conversations we have no matter what we're talking about and uh, Drea and I are both very passionate about the environment and so I thought how fun would it be for me to have her here because she lives in California in an area right now that is being so devastated by wildfires, wildfires, and it breaks my heart every day to see and hear more of what's going on. And uh, so I'm always checking in with Drea and where she's at. Uh, but I am, she is safe and protected, obviously, she's here. And um, so I'm excited that we're going to be having this conversation around the environment. Uh, and a little bit, for me, a little bit more personal level versus the systemic, uh, corporate, governmental level. I want to keep it a little bit more tangible today, although we may go in any direction. So who knows? Because we just, we banter. So um, thank you for being here, Drea, with me. Um, thanks for our friendship. And I'm excited. Are you ready to dive in? I am. Thank you so much for having me. I feel very honored to be a part of this. And uh, that introduction brought little tears to my eyes. It was so beautiful to hear. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so it was funny. We chatted the other day about uh, doing this and 
I'm probably going to kind of start all over the place, even though I have have this little list in front of me I'm looking at. I'm like, no, I think I'm going to dive in somewhere else. Um, we were talking about this documentary called Kiss the Ground, which you said, Marla, you have to watch it. Have you seen it? And I said, no, I've heard the name and yes, I need to sit down and watch it. And my thing has been, I've been a passionate environmentalist for all my years that started at Aveda um, and being with them for, you know, almost 30 years. My passion grew so strongly there for the environment. Um, not only, well, of course, globally, but my passion uh, was very active just in a day-to-day -day basis with all of our, my accounts that I cross paths with and all the people in my life. How can you make a difference every single day? Mm -hmm. And I can't say, because this, this I'm going to ask you kind of the same thing. I can't say for myself that prior to that uh, time in my life, had I really thought about planet Earth and the, the damage that we as a society have been doing to it for so long. I hadn't really thought about it um, because I don't feel like, you know, I was born in 72 and I'm 48. So growing up, <clears throat> that topic just never was like, who talked about the environment? You know, who talked about anything happening to the planet? All we kept talking about was this progression of life moving forward and industrious and technology and this and that. So when was it for you that the health of this planet and just the awareness around being an environmentalist, because that's what I think you probably are for sure. Yes. Um, when did it become important to you? How did it move you? Um, I was, let's see, so probably sixth or seventh grade. And oh, I had Casey. Um, and, and she was the first vegetarian that I had ever met. <laughs> and oh. I, I was kind of... Um, both intrigued and a little bit skeptic to, to the, the purpose or the why. And, and uh, she just kind of opened up my whole eyes to how getting in touch with how our food becomes our food, how it, it is grown and, and comes to our tables. And um, she was not a vegetarian necessarily because she thought eating meat was morally incorrect or wrong or bad for you, but rather had educated herself on some of the, the practices to what was going on um, to get our food to us. And, and that was my first aha to what our toll on the environment looked like. And that's actually what led me to Aveda. Um, I, I always say that I'm a hairdresser because I fell in love with a company that loves the environment. And um, yeah, that's kind of where it's continued for me. Mm. So that's fascinating. I love that. I, uh, when you said a teacher in school, I'm trying to even, I mean, I started scrolling back to my teachers in school and I, my grade school was a Catholic grade school where you had nuns teaching you and, and other lay people. But again, I'm thinking, no, the environment did not come up. And I grew up in Milwaukee. My mom came from a farmer family. Uh, my dad, more uh, city kind of family. And I just 
remember the influence of food in our household. Uh, and even in high school, I still thinking about environment. I never crossed paths with it still at that point, but, you know, thinking about how did food get to our plate and, and I remember our grocery shopping trips were comical growing up uh, in that we would go to uh, the grocery store by us at the time was called Kohl's uh, and not funny that it was tied. There's a store in the Midwest called Kohl's like department mm -hmm. store. Definitely hey, oh. not was not that, you know, it was yeah. a Kohl's grocery <laughs> store. And it was this building, it was crazy. It was like this building with this huge arch. I just remember going over the bridge where we had to go. And <clears throat> it was this, I just, I loved going grocery shopping. I still love going grocery shopping. Many people loathe it, but I love it. I love looking nope. at food. I'm there with you. <laughs> love it. Love it. And because my, because of my dad's job, which kept him away from home nine to 10 months out of the year, he traveled. Um, and so we would buy uh, like seven or eight carts of food. I'm not joking. <laughs> we had in our house, it, it, it's as if we were preparing for the next world war to hit more like a nuclear war was going to hit so that we would have enough food. <clears throat> that, that, that was what I felt like, but it really was, we just ate a lot of food. Mm -hmm. We had uh, a lot of room for storage in our house and uh and i threw it i mean i think about all the different kinds of food we got both processed food and the meat department my dad would go talk to the butcher and be like hey i want 20 of these 20 items wrap them up blah 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 and it was just kind of crazy you know you just mm -hmm. never really thought about it and my grandma's farm the animals and stuff that my mom had when they were growing up that didn't exist by the time i came around um and you know, I loved seeing there were a lot of dairy farmers. My mom's, a lot of her friends, dairy farmers or corn farmers or this or that. So I, I could see it, but there really was no education around, you know, how food got to us. And, and my grandma had an enormous vegetable garden. And so I would see the canning going on and we were always the recipients of that. And uh, I didn't necessarily always like what was in canned other than the pickles because mm -hmm. everything had some kind of vinegary taste to it and I just couldn't totally wrap my head around that um, but as that transitioned as I got older I moved away and on my own and had to really start thinking about it and of course then as I started with Aveda as well a company who embraced the environment you know my perceptions changed did you have people like similar experience did you have family members who have you always been, lived in california where land and growing and agriculture is like just part of life um, i can now officially say i've lived half my life in california and exactly half my life in minnesota oh really so i uh, moved here in my senior year and that was another big aha for me was coming here so in minnesota we had farmers markets but they were you know 35 40 minute drives to get there and they were heavily corn based and mm. um I, I think i ate my first asparagus when i was like 18 something of that sort which is just criminal almost um well it's better than mine which was you know cooked to death or out of a can 
Yes, I did like slime. Yeah. And it was because of Clueless. Do you remember that movie? Oh, well, for you. Because wait, how old are you? Because you're not far. How old are you? 38. Oh, yeah. So you're not far. You're 10 years on me. So yes. Okay. What I can't remember in Clueless. What happened? She, uh, she's eating asparagus in it. And I, and I literally said to my friend that I was watching it with, what is that? I had no idea. Oh, wow. Asparagus was, cause for us it was frozen peas and you know, anything you could get from the Schwann's man. Do you remember the Schwann's man? Schwann's man. What's that? He, he was Uber, Uber eats before his day. Uh, he would really? come with, with his freezer truck and my mom would order all sorts of frozen foods, um, you know, heavily processed foods. And, and that's kind of what we ate out of uh, for the week. And, and then when I moved to California, um, well, my now husband, but we were dating at the time, we were going to the movies one day and I had to stop by the salon that I was at to pick up my tips. And outside the salon was a kumquat tree. Oh, wow. I'd walk past this thing all the time, saw its fruits, saw the flowers, but never thought anything of it. And he, while I was in getting my tips, picks the kumquats and takes them with us to the movie theater. And that was the first, like, I thought that was the weirdest thing. You can't just eat fruit off of a tree. It's got to, like, go to the grocery store, right? And then you got to buy it and they got to do something to make it edible. Um, And that was my, like, that was a real hard look at the fact that I was so disconnected from where my food was actually coming from Hmm. and then recently um we have been really working on trying to eat from our local farms now unfortunately in the last round of fires most of our local farms have burnt down Hmm. um so that's gotten a little bit trickier but um we have a goal here in our house which is to produce uh, as much of our own food as we can in our in our quarter of an acre land that we live on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have been learning about all of these plants and all of these foods that don't exist anymore because they don't fit into our grocery market. Mm-hmm. And some really nutrient-dense and, and things that even grow in our area um, with very little need for water or, or real, you know, ongoing care. Mm -hmm. Um, and that has just been, I mean, I'm so inspired by it and it's absolutely fascinating to me Mm -hmm. how we've kind of broken a system. Oh my God. I can talk for days on that. (laughs) Days on that. Uh, so I'm going to back up a little bit, a couple of things you spurred me as soon as you said you, you, when you went to your first, um, farmer's market, well, I could share an asparagus story too. We did have asparagus. It was, it was either out of the can or it was so overcooked. It was like slime. But the, the, job my, the job my dad had through all of my childhood and teenage years, uh, he was a chef for a steel company that did all of their entertaining for their guests on these private rail, three private railroad cars. That's a whole story for a different day, another conversation. <laughs> unimportant but I remember he would pull he would serve these he'd serve white asparagus out of a can uh, cold and put some kind of weird dressing on it or whatever I just remember seeing it I don't think I remember ever having it because he never served us what he made which I always found very odd Um, but 
the farmer's market. We had one by our house. Uh, I would say it was uh, maybe half a mile. I don't know, 10, 12 blocks, something like that, whatever. But I, I can see it clear as day. It's still there now, although my mom has said it's kind of transformed. But I remember going there. It used to be, it was like a farmer's market, and then it was like a trash and treasure place. But I do remember going there, getting food and, and or picking up stuff. I don't it still it didn't really hit me, didn't resonate with me uh, very much because again, it wasn't, it wasn't talked about in our house necessarily, like topics, the kind of conversations we had were definitely not ones that uh, I could have used, let's put it that way. But my neighbor across the street or our neighbor across the alley, I should say, because we lived in the alley, like our life was in the alley, all our friends, we just joined in the alley and you did everything. But our neighbor across the alley had a huge apple tree and I was in that tree regularly. Wasn't supposed to be, but it was like the dare. Okay, get, can you climb to the top of that tree, get some apples? You know, uh, can you go down the alley and pick out the rhubarb from that lady's patch that you're not supposed to? Yes, of course I can. Can you climb up the chestnut tree, grab a chestnut and let's see if we can eat it. So I do remember doing that again, none of it ever connecting like this is stuff that you can be eating. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you talk about your garden and I'm, as I said earlier, I'm so heartbroken with what's happening in California mm -hmm. and God, I have no idea how to help people there, but I just want those fires to stop. It just pains me every day um, to see that those livelihoods but uh it's so lovely that you have the ability you live in a state where you can grow all year long first mm -hmm. of all yeah. i live in chicago where it is we are growing time our growing season is so short and i don't live in a building i live in the city so i don't live in a building where i can grow like you grow because we have squirrels that um are city squirrels and the city mm -hmm. squirrels eat out of the garbage and so they bring their feast up into my porch and they bury it in my garden, in my plants. They're composting for you. That's yeah. so cool. Well, they're composting protein bars in a package still. They hide that in my yeah. fern. They, he got, the one was just up here today looking for stuff all over the place because they only remember 20% of what they planted. But So we I can't. Need, we need we, to train better. Well, true. We have a live trap for the chipmunks that come. We've relocated them. We have the chipmunk relocation program and we've re relocated an entire family one by one with peanut butter, mm -hmm. little live traps. And then we bring them to the lake front to this one specific house and we drop them in the bushes and it's like the whole family's waiting for them there. They're like, oh my God, thanks for coming. We never thought you'd never make it, you know? <laughs> Um, but I can't grow vegetables. My point is that I can't grow vegetables or stuff like that on the porch because the um, the squirrels would eat it. But when I first uh, moved, well, I moved here, moved back to Milwaukee and came back. Um, so when I permanently set feet down here, the farmer's market where I live is by far one of the nicest here um, on the in the Chicagoland area uh, along the lakeside. And it's huge. And man, what an experience it was when I first walked in. I was like, wow, like, holy smokes, look at all these cool people and food and wow. And uh, 
when you talked about the varieties that really are disappearing or people don't grow because they don't fit into mm -hmm. the the paradigm of what perfect food should look like mm -hmm. um, it it I get so angry mm -hmm. at society yeah <laughs> you know the, the whole, that movement of ugly food yes mm -hmm. I, I grow a lot you do food. I'm really good at that <laughs> you grow a lot of ugly food I love that yeah. <laughs> what are some of the things that you grow? Oh, um, so currently we are doing our winter garden. So it's a lot of leafies. We've got five different varieties of onion. Um, I just oh. pulled my potatoes and found that I have a little grub issue, which means these silver icky looking bugs that eat all the little tubers. So yep. mm -hmm. didn't have a great harvest. Um, I'm growing millet right now for my chickens and a couple That's varieties. Funny, I saw your chickens, those cute little guys. We just got ducks too. Oh my God. That's so great. The thing ever. Um, so are you going to have duck eggs? Are you going to harvest duck eggs? Yep. We'll have duck eggs. Uh, we got all girls. So, um, so have, yeah, you, we'll have, have you ever had duck eggs? I have. They're so amazing. There is a farm here in my area that did survive the fires, and it's a pretty amazing story. Uh, it's the name is Beelove Farms, and I kid you not that LNU fire burnt all around them, mm. but they do the regenerative farming practice, and some of the outskirts of their their land burnt, but they are still fully functioning and standing and it's just an amazing testament to healthy soil mm -hmm. and what for our world, our lives, our environment. Amazing. But they introduced me to duck eggs and to regenerative farming in general. So, so, uh, okay. So you have ducks, you have your greens in right now. What kind of fruits, like what, talk, walk me through your season from like spring to, well, you have it all year, but let's just. So plant or, or, our orchard that is producing right now is uh, our pomegranates and um, lemons. Wow. wow. Yeah. So cool. Our pomegranate tree, we learned a lot this last season. We need to trim that bad boy down because <laughs> he's producing huge amounts of pomegranates. So okay. we should get avocados next season, uh, tangerines. We have uh, peach, two pawpaw plants. Have you heard of pawpaw? Yes. Oh, yeah. For sure. I love that you know them. Well, because I have spent, um, I spent a lot of years, uh, I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of reading on the environment from the governmental side uh, to the personal side to the farmer side. It just, I subscribe to a lot of stuff. So I read it and I am deeply passionate about it. And uh, I can, I can say that many of my friends in my life are like, oh, I think I need you to just stop talking about it. I'm like, well, <laughs> I feel that way too, which is so perfectly why we are friends. Exactly. <laughs> um, I haven't what? had a paw paw physically, um, cause it doesn't grow here in the Midwest <laughs> and I am a regional, I really promote local regional seasonal yeah. eating. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but I know about it because of what I've 
the stuff that I've read along mm -hmm. with, you know, so many varieties disappearing and love. Yeah. And that is definitely one that's fallen to the wayside because of what our market mm -hmm. looks like, uh, because they only hold up, I think, for about two days from being ripe because they essentially are a custard right inside of their mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. casings. Uh, so it's like having a little pudding pack in, in your fruit, <laughs> essentially. But the other really cool thing about the pawpaw plant is that it doesn't have a pest. So the, the outside casing of both the pawpaw and the leaves are natural pest deterrents. So you can actually take their leaves, boil them, and create your own natural pesticides. Wow. Genius. One That's, little plant. That is awesome. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it's very cool. Nature just baffles me. I'm constantly mouth agape. Like we can learn so much from these plants, and uh, and and just how the whole system runs and flows together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then the the very crass side of me comes out, and I get really the disbeliever in humanity, and I'm like, yeah, we just fuck it up every time. Yeah, <laughs> we got control issues as humans. <laughs> yeah. We want what we want when we want it. And, uh, and so the idea that like, I now have to figure out how I get my grubs out of the soil without just throwing something on them that's going to kill them in 30 minutes, you know, mm -hmm. that challenges us as humans because mm -hmm. it takes away my control. But that's why I got ducks. Oh, is that right? So they will eat the grubs? They'll eat the grubs and my snails. I, I also <laughs> maybe oh, yes, grow snails. a factory <laughs> in my backyard. <laughs> You've got the whole ecosystem going on, which is what you want. But yes, the ducks will be good for that. That's awesome. So, will yeah. the chickens will the chickens eat the grubs or no? Just the ducks. We've been trying. We've been putting them in there. My chickens are escape artists. Oh. Um, but I love this about them. So we what we do is our our area, our garden is all fenced in, and so then within an area in our fenced in garden, we will put the chickens in sure. that fence that we need them to root up or eat what needs to be eaten. And so they, they do this thing where they dust bathe. That's what they call it, which basically yes. just, they like roll around and create this big bowl, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then they do that close enough to the fence and they can oh. just slap. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> chickens are notoriously known for not being very intelligent, but like when I see that happening, I just, I, you, you you got to say they're they're much smarter than we give them credit for um that's but then, hysterical <laughs> they also do this thing where um when they think there is a predator around they'll just freeze like a statue like mm -hmm. statue tag you know mm -hmm. and so when you come outside and you found them outside your fence and now instead they've eaten all your kale which that was days aha for me um, they They'll just freeze. They'll just be literally standing in the middle of this eaten kale patch and freeze like you don't see them if they just stand still. And they just crack me up. That's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. She just found me. It, like, the thing that I went through my head was, do you know the Wallace and Gromit claymation? Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> That's what I picture is, like, yep. these claymation chickens out there in the kale patch. And all of a sudden, like, whoa. And you see their eyes. It's, like, bursting <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's so very accurate, actually. Yes. Oh my God, I love that. Um, so, you know, when I chose to do this topic with you, and you know, people are thinking, okay, well, it's lovely that you two are talking about your gardens and whatever, but what is what's your point? Oh yeah. Um, 
uh, because I mean, I have a point, but this is important what you're talking about. One of the things that <clears throat> for me, being the passionate environmentalist that I am, uh, I always have taught people about eating local, supporting your local farmers, going to a farmer's market if you can, if there's one by you, try to do your best to, thinking about when you're at the grocery store, where is that produce coming from? and eating within your what's really supposed to be grown in your region what what you should really be eating in your region so <clears throat> people have a really hard time with that because as you said before people we want what we want we want it now so i want yeah. that kiwi that comes from new zealand that does not grow in the midwest i want that avocado from mexico those bananas from you know wherever south america Florida, who knows, because that's what I want. That's what's yeah. become of the industrial age. That's what's become of technology, become of this instant gratification society that we live in. Yeah. And so when I talk about local eating all year, people, particularly here in the Midwest, are like, Marlo, what the heck am I supposed to eat during winter? You know, mm -hmm. we, don't, we can't grow anything. To which I say, okay, you can eat dark greens. So stick with your kales and your, you can get your Swiss chards and your spinaches, even though spinach is more spring and fall, but whatever, stick with your dark greens. Kale is going to be pretty much it. Your Brussels sprouts and your broccoli and cauliflower. I said, and then you really tap into your root vegetables. So mm -hmm. I'm like, first of all, you have to, and if I even go before that and think about each season, something specific is happening to the planet mm -hmm. and it's designed that way man did not design it something far greater beyond our comprehension designed it and yeah. it's designed to sustain that way and each region of the globe is designed to have specific things grown in it otherwise we wouldn't have the shit that's on our plates you know right. we wouldn't have what we have if it wasn't designed to be put there Mm -hmm. So pineapple is best when it's eaten in tropical climates because mm -hmm. that's where it grows best. Yeah. It's also and, best. It's, go ahead. It's designed for the challenges that your body is having in tropical weather. Exactly. To cool you off. Mm -hmm. And in the Midwest, we have hardy conditions most of the year. We have, you know, a short six month window where our temperature is you know lovely cooler mm -hmm. then it gets hot and you know we but it's it's not like that all year round so the things that grow in our region yes we get our blueberries and we get our peaches and we get all those things to help us as each season's temperature changes and your body is doing exactly the same thing because it's connected to the earth it's, yeah. we are one and so it's really difficult for people to understand that concept because mm -hmm. they're so ingrained in well i i will only eat all tropical foods or you know when you think about all these diets that people go on or that live and exist out there and that's a whole nother topic for another day um <laughs> uh, and 
what it never, what none of them ever really address is, is the relate, you know, eating to be what's best for your body in the space that you're living in with the lifestyle that you have. Yeah, I agree. Um, and um, I think it's even just the, the short list that you gave of your garden, you clearly have gone through exactly what each of your seasons is meant to have. Yeah. Because even though you're in California, you're not hot all year round. You still have a change of seasons. Yes. So kind like of. for your winter, well, yeah, but you know what I mean? Your yeah. winters are cooler. You're not at a hundred degrees through, mm -hmm. you know, December through March. Yeah. I mean, it's nice out there, but it is cooler out there mm -hmm. compared to me. That's at zero yeah. <laughs> and wind chill and snow. <laughs> and, and we have new growing challenges too with with um what's happening to our world because now we have droughts and uh you know mudslides and we don't have the mudslides terribly bad here where we are but southern california and you know the fires that uh, we actually joke in california that we have a whole fire season like who we don't have fall we have fire season and that just breaks my heart it breaks my heart that we have gotten to a point where we just accept this almost with a, I'm throwing my hands up. You know, what am I going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And I also get it. I, as um, an environmentalist, I also feel sometimes like <sighs> it's pointless. It's not mm -hmm. going in. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've loved about learning more about um, regenerative farming and gardening and what the soil can do mm -hmm. because soil really does have the ability to heal everything. And you had mentioned earlier, Marlo, about how you wish you could help and what's going on out here in California, but you're in Chicago. And this is the really cool thing is just like you had said, it's all connected and we are all connected to the soil. And so somebody who's doing regenerative gardening in Chicago can help us with our fire season by having turning your dirt into soil mm -hmm. so your soil can heal our um our air pollution and in turn we we get this big beautiful cycle of how we're helping people all over the world mm -hmm. yeah you're absolutely right and uh that the documentary that i mentioned earlier in this the kiss kiss the ground is all about that regenerative farming and to just give people a little insight into that. And I, I can't recommend it enough. And thank you for reminding me about it, Drea, that, um, cause I'd seen the previews for it, um, as well as the other one, which is, uh, what was the other one with the couple? Biggest Little Farm? Have you yeah, watched Biggest that? Little Farm. Yeah, that's yeah. the other one. No, that's, a, that's there too. Um, but with Kiss the Ground, it was a re, it was an affirmation of the information that I had been that I learned about for a, a long time now because of the passive information that comes through me, but it was a really, really well done story, uh, examples of story, but it's well pulled together about what regenerative farming is and that regenerative farming is knowing and understanding that Dirt is not soil. Dirt is, I'm going to just say dirt is shit. Mm -hmm. Literally. Like it's just shit. It's just nothing. It's, it's not, there's no bacteria. There's no microbes. There's no water in it. There's no nutrients in it. It's just might as well be particle board, you know, ground we've, up. 
we've done this really weird thing out here in California, right? Mm -hmm. We think about like all these California hippies, we should know better. But when we started going through all of our droughts, we did this thing where we like, we pulled out our grass. We just, we just stopped watering it. And, and literally we have dirt and now people are putting down um, rocks, dirt and astroturf. And, and so we're actually creating a bigger problem mm. wow. by letting dirt sit there. And, and you know, if, if it's just dirt, it's actually adding CO2 to our air. And Correct. so it's just this big vicious cycle where, but what if, what mm. if everything we watered in our yard, what if every time we used or water, we weren't wasting it? What if we were watering food? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like a three time trickle down effect, right? Because exactly. Exactly. the food's in front of me, it's better for my body. I'm fixing the soil and I'm taking away some of the production from the, the grocery store markets. They're not going to like that message, but. Well, no, but I mean, in, the, in this documentary, you know, to, to go, it, it takes it to a grand scale of all of our agriculture, farmer, agricultural farmers in the globe and what they speak to and uh, science, this is all science-based information. You can't, you cannot turn away from this because it, what it shows uh, and has shown for decades is soil, what the earth was created with, not dirt. The earth was created with soil. Mm-hmm. And in soil, uh, and I'm explaining this to the people who are listening to this so they understand what you and I are bantering about, mm-hmm. uh, soil has in it a whole ecosystem of life from earthworms to in other insects to microbes to bacteria it is a life system much like the entire ecosystem that's inside our own bodies and soil when it is truly properly cared for uh, and farmed properly uh, and as they talk about in the movie um, the turning point for when the earth started to become dirt, the turning point for in our agricultural farming was when they started tilling, which happened during uh, World War I mm-hmm. at the turn of the 20th century. And that tilling completely uprooted and took off that whole protective layer off of the soil which mm-hmm. then exposed everything, which they stated the first major catastrophe, environmental catastrophe that we had here that we created was the Dust Bowl. Yeah. You know, uh, and so regenerative farming, what they so beautifully show, both farmers in the Midwest, farmers on the West Coast, because I kept, you know, I was like, they've got to show someone in the Midwest because. I hate to say it, to me, California, the West Coast is like this golden area that anything is possible because you have beautiful temperatures all year. I'm like, I was just waiting for them to show. I'm like, I need you to show a state that has brutality winters, you know? Mm-hmm. And the guy they showed in, um, so Idaho or Nebraska? I, forget, I think he's in Nebraska. Um, fantastic example. So regenerative farming is where these farmers are not monocropping, which the mm-hmm. monocrops of this country, soy, corn, wheat, uh, there's five, five or six of them. When we monocrop anything, 
not just those that I've mentioned, but fruits, vegetables, it happens across the board. There's a brilliant book uh, called Bread, Wine, and Chocolate, The Loss of the Things That We Love. It's a brilliant book about literally these key areas, these key food groups that we have just completely monocropped the shit out of. Mm-hmm. And the devastation it's doing to the planet and to the food. And when so we monocrop, these farmers, once tilling, it was like the level of pesticides that came into being after World War II and just throwing this shit at the ground and just killing it. Because as you said before, when you're challenged to have to figure something out, well, that's that almost seems like too much work. How's that going to be profitable for me? So let's just throw this toxic shit at it. Right. And nobody even batted an eyelash at it and still doesn't. And yet it ends up in our water system, which I don't understand how people do not grasp the severity of this whole industrialization. And so when you talk about regenerative farming, soil, when it is truly soil in its proper ecosystem, it has the ability to create this whole cycle of allowing water to evaporate up through the plants, create water to come down from the atmosphere to rain on it and, and take in the CO2, you know, it creates this whole beautiful cycle. And it's like, and so these farms, I thought the most brilliant point in that documentary was where the Nebraska farmer shows his land that's regenerative farmed right next to his neighbors, uh-huh. who's like dirt for miles. And he's got these clumps of, you know, these resistant weeds, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and I was like, that is the best thing you could have shown. Yeah. Um, you know, because I was like, bravo to you. I mean, and, and the work he's doing going around and speaking to farmers and helping them understand, which is what it takes is education yes. that you and I are, you know, kind of doing on a day-to-day basis with people. And it is hard. I mean, people here, you know, even in my own situation, you know, you have, you have chickens and you have ducks and you live in suburba, suburbia and you... Um, you own a hair salon, like these things don't seem to go together. Um, you know, and, and I think sometimes people think I'm crazy because as much as I talk about hair, I talk about farming and, and what we can do for the garden. But it's, you know, so it's not always easy to be doing something different than everybody else is. And I think that's where, um, where we just need to talk about it as much as possible so mm-hmm. that people can become aware and that it feels normal. You know, mm-hmm. just like when organic first started, right? When that mm-hmm. term and that labeling was was brand new and people thought, oh, you know, what is that? That's not anything important. You know, I would love to see a regenerative farming label get onto our food sources or air yeah. product, you know? Absolutely. And I think if we just keep talking about it and trying it, try something different, get uncomfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing about the regenerative farming that I'm, I haven't mentioned is that these crops, so the farm is completely covered in, it's, it's a whole season of probably 15 different things that grow on these crops. So it's not monocropping. Yeah. So this farmer was like, yeah, you know, I've got corn and yes, I grow wheat, but mm-hmm. I've got... Um, root vegetables and I've got this flower and I've got this and he named like probably 10 different things 
and they move and he's got i've got livestock and i've got chickens and mm -hmm. he takes you through how on his entire acreage how they move the cattle which is what nature intended it's how you know in the early days of the plains the great plains all the bison the millions of bison that we killed oh my god i just get so angry mm -hmm. about this. oh my god i get so angry um at humans yeah uh that the net the way nature intended it is that the animals cows bison elephants in africa whatever the 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 weight of their walking their hooves on that area they never stay in that area for more than a couple of days and then they don't come back to that area for like six to nine months so those that area that they just left regenerates itself right. so it gets tramped down co2 the manure from them gets broken down into that so i mean it's this whole ecosystem and it's so cool though isn't it it's just it's a beautiful process it's so it's so uh it is a beautiful process and it's so symbiotic it's so and they state in here that if we can turn our get our dirt back into soil and if we can change our agriculture system we could cool the planet back off because that's literally what regenerative farming does is it cools and they show you from nasa this whole uh uh what's the word i'm looking it's a graph it's not a graph but there's a word for those moving motion images that they show of, of the um what the satellites are showing the different temperatures of the planet and they show it from when the beginning of the year when they start farming and they show you like the farming the co2 is going higher and higher the red across the entire mm -hmm. planet is heating up for like two months and then come when, June, they're, when they're tilling and growing mm -hmm. and throwing all this dirt co2 in the air and then when the plants start growing the whole planet cools down for the next six months and it's like mm -hmm. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to see that. I mean, come yeah. on. But yeah. it goes back to what you said earlier uh, that, you know, not only are you growing things that the local grocery store doesn't want, mm -hmm. um, it requires change, it requires effort. Um, and it requ different is scary, you know, especially I think of these poor farmers in the, in the sense of like, this is how they've always been taught to do it. And, mm -hmm. and their, their livelihood is on the line, you know, um, and that's going to be scary to change scary. everything. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I also thought it was interesting and it, you know, it can be applied, I think in other areas of life, the at least in the United States, the government is subsidizing these farmers paying them a specific amount and the and the regenerative farmer in nebraska said i don't operate on that system i'm yeah. not i don't take money from the government and i have a consistent profit year after year mm -hmm. you know it's like and they and he says to them what would you be making money if the government wasn't paying you mm -hmm. and not one of them could to raise that and it's just like wow and, and to bring it back down to even a local level like to your day-to-day -day life because you know i've moved into such a big picture for us is just going to the farmer's market just yeah. 
thinking about a, a few things. One, stop, start thinking about eating really truly what is local and what's in season and not going beyond that and really minimizing the amount of industrial packaged food you have in your pantry, mm -hmm. which I have a decent amount. It's pasta because I don't have space to make it and mm -hmm. I'm very specific about where I get it. Um, I've got, you know, dried goods like my flowers or, you know, my uh, sugar or my beans. They're not packaged, but they're, they're, it's processed. Anything that is taken from its natural form and dried or ground becomes processed. Mm -hmm. It's just the way it is. It take, there's levels of processing. So cookie mix or uh, potato chips or, you know, whatever that starts taking it up the chain of protein bars, the level of pro how much processing you put into that food. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what I challenge people to do is uh, how, how can you scale back Mm -hmm. the amount of processed food you have and how much more can you focus on real food and local and get to know your farmers mm -hmm. because there's farmers markets that are going on all year round. And I can say that here in where I live and I know that they exist in other areas year round. You may not be able to get as much as you want, mm -hmm. but it's still a step in the right direction. I think. I agree. And, and I might even take it like, I love that you actually said, get to know your farmers, because I think that's maybe the next step that we go into is get to know your farmers, understand who is doing regenerative uh, farming practices. And, and then also too, you could very well be eating organic fruit from a local producer that's still being grown in dirt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you were eating the food and you really are concerned about getting the most nutrient dense food possible and healing our, our planet that those foods that are coming from soil are going to be by far the best for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, supporting those, those farmers, I think is the biggest impact that we can have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think I know people, I, I can hear a couple of stories coming at me back at me because I've heard it my whole life. One is, well, Marla, I don't have time to go to a farmer's market. I've got kids. I, I just can't do that. I, I can't get there on a Saturday morning. It's not an inconvenient time or I can't get there during the week. And again, I have to really bite my tongue in how I respond back to people most you of want the time. About that iPhone notice on Sundays, right? Like how much What's thing? Yeah. <laughs> well, I... I, uh, I, in my most polite way, I just simply say, these people are putting the food on your plate. Yeah. It doesn't get any more black and white than that. Mm -hmm. You're driving three to four hours to bring you food to put on your plate. Yeah. When I was working 60 to 80 hours and traveling across four states, which just in my circle of influence alone my friends and whatever none of them were doing that some of them they were all working hard for sure mm. but none of them were traveling none of them had two major uh spaces education centers to oversee in two different states didn't have 30 people reporting i mean and it wasn't about 
it wasn't about, well, I have more than you have. It was, I may not have kids. I have a lifestyle that is just as stressful, yet I make time to go do this because it's important. Right. And, you know. That is just our limited thinking. We do this to ourselves in so many ways where we limit the potential of our lives Mm -hmm. because we can't see past a way we've always done it. Uh, And, uh, and that's really unfortunate. I think space to be in and the first hurdle maybe to, to get over is breaking that. I I hear that all the time with when people say, well, I don't have a green thumb or I don't have time to grow a garden Mm -hmm. or um, I haven't mowed a lawn in a year. Mm -hmm. And not because I have three children. I do have three teenage children, but, but because I don't have a lawn in my backyard anymore, I just have cover crop that my chickens eat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so there's, you know, 30 minutes every weekend that I have that I can go to the farmer's market with now, Mm -hmm. you know, while my chickens do my work for me. Yeah. Yeah. And the other argument, and this is a harder one. It's not a bad one at all. It's just one that I, I try to do my best to address because I don't, it's a much larger systemic issue than I have answers for. And that is, well, Marla, what do you say to the people who are underprivileged, who don't have money, mm-hmm. the means to go to a farmer's market? Um, and something that we're doing that I know happens across Chicago land, and, and I know it's happening in the Milwaukee area where I'm from originally, and that's where some of my big inspiration came from. Uh, are the uh, turning these urban deserts into uh, area, urban gardening, but uh, larger areas, teaching these people how to grow, bringing these individuals in and having them help with the harvesting and then creating this market uh, for them to be able to turn around and purchase from or donations are made to or things like that but helping them understand just how one little step at a time, one introduction into their daily diet, they can make to become a better well-being, to help themselves. And little by little, they're helping the planet. They're helping the health of themselves. They're helping the health of their family. So that argument I have far more patience for because it's such a... as I said, a much bigger systemic problem than I have the answers to, but there are resources. I love that you brought that up, Marlo, and you don't even know this, but this has become one of my husband's and my um, community projects right now is um, I, I work, I do somebody's hair who works for our uh, county health board here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she had expressed to me that um, the the newest concern with uh, our pandemic is that they are seeing in our county personally um, uprising in low-income housing areas um, and that it's been tasked by our governor to the counties that they have to remedy that in these low-income areas. The challenge is so much bigger than um, just social distancing or masks, you know, and it, it really comes from exactly what you were just saying from food, work environments, underlining health issues. And so we are, we're currently working um, from a legislation spot in talking with our, our government and our local officials on how we stop watering 
or caring for anything in our town that isn't absolutely needed or producing food for us. So I think that's where we get involved as activists and whatever level we have to start having that conversation. Um, we, can, we can help people with their long-term health issues if we can get food access to them. Mm -hmm. And if we can be spending our tax money on that instead of um, cactuses and I don't know what other plants we plant out here, but right, palm right. trees, and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for us and our, we have so many low-income areas of the city uh, all across our, all across Chicago land, and um, we have, we could be even more we could be even better at, instead of creating another flipping high rise that we don't need, particularly in my community where I live, I just wanna spit nails. Yeah. Uh, we don't need that. Can we create an urban garden community space mm -hmm. to help these people who have no home, who are out there, you know, uh, lost in so many, on so many levels in their life? Can we help them understand and help get them food? Can we help create stabilization? And as I said, it is such a bigger issue for us than I can answer, but there are ways that we can help provide. And, and it takes so many different organizations and levels within the community, within local governments, federal governments to change this because there's just no reason for this. There's absolutely no reason this should be going on not one not one i'm always um, torn when it is working with a you know legislature because i do feel like we shouldn't need big brother or big big papa to tell us to do the right thing right. we should just do the right thing mm -hmm. but it is a partnership you know just like the soil is a partnership with our world we all have to you know yeah. be together um, interesting, speaking of Chicagoland, I did watch a documentary, I think it was the Zac Efron Netflix series, actually, mm -hmm. that he did, but they were talking about bees in, I want to say it was maybe New York, but it was a big city, mm -hmm. and, um, and they were actually saying that bees from a big city produce a healthier honey than bees from country living, where they're getting the pesticides and picking up. I just thought that was really Really I, believe that. I believe that because as it goes back to kiss the ground, mm -hmm. so much of our agriculture, the mass produced agriculture like is produced with pesticides. Most of the agriculture in our country grown is to feed mass produced uh, feedlot cows, feedlot cattle, feedlot chickens. Yeah. Three I areas. Yeah. And I think the cities have kind of a really great step up from some of maybe even the more rural areas, an opportunity because you can just kind of create new soil mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and new spaces for it. And Yeah, and that's, that's kind of what's got to happen because people are going to gravitate even more to the cities uh, as climate crisis continues and as... Uh, economic instability and inequality if it doesn't change or start to get better um we have to be able to work as communities to provide that's our yeah. responsibility to mankind you know at least yeah. from my perspective so 
I would love to get back to the day when there's a pothole in my street and we as a community come together and fix it instead of waiting for our city to do it. I don't know if that's a crazy unrealistic expectation, but I think that would be really beautiful <laughs> to me to see. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's possible. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a while, but I think it's possible. Um, so with that, I'm going to bring our, really, I loved our conversation around the environment uh, to a close. And uh, I hope, I hope that those listening uh, just got a little bit more insight into why, why it is so important to take care of mother earth, um, why it's so important to think about where your food comes, think about how it's getting, how is it being grown? uh, Who is growing it for you? What are the ulterior motives behind the way they grow, you know, i.e. mass agriculture? And uh, just taking one step away from what you used to do or what you have been doing or what you were told to do as it relates to eating and try something towards healing the planet kind of eating and thinking of it differently. I love Um, it. Yeah. So thank you, Drea, again. Thank you so much. And I would just like to say that if anybody is inspired to start a urban garden or regenerative garden, whatever version of this and needs somebody to help them, um, reach out to me. Yes. And you can find Drea. She is on all platforms. I don't know if you're on LinkedIn, but you're on Instagram. That's the best place to find her. Um, under. I am Drea underscore Essenza Salon Vacaville. There you go. It's a long one. I I call it Vacayville because it just sounds more fun to me. (laughs) I wish it was Vacayville. (laughs) Until some of my friends like, Marlo, I think that's Vacaville. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, well, that just took the whole light out of it. Right. (laughs) I thought it was like Vacayville. Like everybody was just having fun. (laughs) But yes cows but we do have a lot of cows right um and this uh our conversations always uh they get posted on instagram i always tag who's in the conversation with me it's on facebook it's on linkedin it will be up uh probably by next week for sure uh early next week and i look forward to having everybody back for the next conversation we have which i'm so excited i can't even tell you what it is but i'm excited (laughs) it's on the same vein it's on the same route just a a little bit different. Um, so thank you again uh, for being a part of it. And we'll thank see you next you. time. Bye, friend.